Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Loving Father, we're thankful, yeah, uh, as you are with us in every step of our lives. Indeed, when we go through trials, you're there. But when things are good, you're there. And they're good because you're there. And so, Lord, we, uh, we, we've come again to worship you and to praise you but also to be edified by you through your word. And so we pray that you'll do that today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You notice the title on our screen, the title of our message, The Certainty of Assurance. You know, we're told that in 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was completed. And it cost some $77 million to build. Now, during the construction, it was completed in two stages. The first stage went very slowly, and the second stage was a a lot uh, faster. Now, in the first stage, uh, we're told that some 23 men fell to their death, fell into the water. And and, and as you may imagine, if you you were a worker there, uh, uh, the, the work went slowly in particular because the, 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 the men were, were afraid. They saw their companions fell helplessly into the water and lose their lives. So, of course, you know, they're, they're, they're working, but, you know, they're, they're so afraid. They're taking their time because they're afraid of falling too. Then finally, uh, an ingenious person thought, well, it, there needs to be a net. There needs to be a net. So they, they put together this net at a cost of $100,000, the largest net ever built and hung there beneath the workmen, and, and now the, the, the phase two started. Now, when phase two started, uh, ten men fell from the bridge, but they fell on the net, and their lives were saved. And so from then on, the, phase, the, the construction phase went a lot quicker, because now the, the, the workmen had assurance. They, they knew that they would be safe, and so the work continued uh, pretty uh, fast, and it was completed. You know, there's something to be said about having assurance, you know, about certainty, about being sure, about uh, the conviction that something is actually the case. Unfortunately, uh, today we do live in a time of a lot of uncertainty. And this is particularly true in the last year, true in the last year, isn't it? You know, a lot of uncertainty in the world, and people are afraid and stressed out. Uh, in his article uh, titled Dealing with uh, the Immense Uncertainty of the World, Leo Babauta explains that the world is in a state of fear and uncertainty right now, and it's stressful and overwhelming for most of us. And he says that the kind of fear, stress, and uncertainty can have some real impacts in our lives. And he shares a few of these that I want to show you today. He said that constant Fear and stress can cause anxiety problems, worsening sleep, health, depression, and, and again, anxiety. And, and, and this is an, indeed it's a very in, interesting that uh, what has happened in the last year with a lot of this uncertainty. You probably heard that during this COVID era, mental health problems have gone up. You've probably heard that, that, that suicide rates have gone up during this time because people are stressed out. People are afraid. There is a lot of uncertainty in the time that we're living in. He says that in a place of fear, we can often 
make bad decisions. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You know, maybe you're, you're in a job and, and, and you're always looking over your shoulder because you're afraid that any little thing you do might cost you your job. And so because you're less focused, you make bad decisions. And that's, that's a very common thing. Uh, people can panic, overreact because of fear um, and cause widespread confusion and disruptions. We see, we, again, we've seen that in the last year or so. Our relationships can deteriorate when we are operating from a place of fear. Because, you know, you, uh, you get angry, you get cranky, and so you, you blow it on, on, uh, on your loved one, and that can cause issues with your, uh, with your relationships, too. Uh, we become less productive when we are afraid. Again, going back to, you know, be making bad decisions, right? You're not focused. You know, I remember you know, I mean, probably maybe all of us have been at some point in or another in a job that, 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 you know, you didn't like and it was just terrible. And, and I remember being in a job like that, I was always afraid. And, and, and so, again, I was less focused on what I was doing because I'm looking over my shoulder to make sure that I'm not doing something that, that I'm going to get yelled at for. Uh, you know, again, it has obvious impact on our happiness, on our happiness. We are less happy. Uh, we don't experience the joy, the peace that you know, God wants us to have when we are living in, a, in an environment of uncertainty and stress. And so, again, this has a strong impacts on our lives, physically speaking. But as you may imagine, this may also happen in the spiritual realm. It can happen in the spiritual realm when we are uncertain. In particular, this can be true when we are uncertain about our salvation about the uncertainty of salvation. There's a story of a, of a, of a, of a lady who spoke to her pastor, and, and she said to him, uh, uh, there's something I'm worried about, pastor. I know that I'm nearer the end of my life than the beginning, and at times I wake up at night and wonder, if I die, will I be saved? I'm talking earlier about how fast life goes, right, Henry? You know? It seems like yesterday that I was 20, and I still, man, I got all my life ahead of me, man, but it's one, two, three, here I am, I'm 50, and and I realize that what's behind me is a lot more than what's in front of me, and and maybe you feel the same way, and you wonder, again, obviously you you, you think about your mortality, and and you say, hold on, I'm going to die, will I be saved? That's the question that many people ask themselves, she did, will I be saved? And he, and he asked her, well, have you asked Jesus to forgive your sins? And she said, yes, yes, absolutely. I have, I have done that. Okay, all right, very good. Do you trust Jesus to be your Savior, he asked her. Yes, I've invited him to be my Savior since I was a little kid. Perfect. Then why do you doubt? Why is there a doubt, he asked her. And she said, well, well because I know I'm not perfect, After a whole lifetime of being a Christian, I still have thoughts that I'm not proud of. And there are many good things I should do, but I don't. I just don't think I'm perfect enough to be accepted into heaven. I wonder if if this is some of the same questions you've asked yourself. You realize, well, you know, I, 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 I wonder if I'm saved because look at my life. I am a mess. My thoughts, the things that I should do, I don't do. Uh, am I perfect enough to get into heaven? By the way, th- this issue of perfection, uh, of being, uh, of the thought of being perfect or having to be perfect to get into heaven is, a, 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 is something that is being confusing many people, in particular even in our own Adventist church. And I'm going to talk to you about that sometime later this year. But again, these are things that we think about. 
I don't know if I am, if I am perfect enough to get into heaven. You know, um, some time ago in Andrews University, they um, conducted a study that revealed that less than 70% of Seventh-day Adventists worldwide have confident assurance of present salvation. Think about that. That's pretty sad. The fact that, you know, a, a, a great number of our members of our church does not have the assurance of salvation. I wonder how, what per, the, the percentage would be if I made a survey here this morning. If I asked you, are you sure are you, of your salvation? Now, uh, let me clarify um, by saying that what, we're t- what I'm talking about today is not about one save, always save. You know, you've heard that, right? One save, always save. This is the, the belief that, that a, a lot of the uh, evangelical Christians have, that once you accept Jesus at some point in your life, and perhaps you were baptized because you've accepted Jesus, afterwards you have no responsibility. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do or you don't do, you will not lose your salvation. And that's not what we're talking about today. So, uh, obviously, if you were to ask an evangelical Christian who believed in one saved, always saved, are you saved? Well, yeah, I I was saved when I was six years old. You know, I've had conversations with people like, yeah, I was saved when I was six. I I haven't been to church since, but I am good. So, so yeah, if you were to ask them, yeah, they certainly have the assurance of salvation, but I believe it is misplaced, as we'll see today. And this this is a lot um, also um, related to uh, something called predestination. You've probably heard that too. Uh, this comes from Calvinism, John Calvin, who believed that, that God, uh, uh, before he created the world, he chose those who were going to be saved, he chose those who were going to be lost, and, and, and so no matter what your decisions are, if God chose you to be saved, you're going to be saved, and if he didn't choose you to be saved, then that's on you, no matter what you do. So maybe unconsciously, when, when, when somebody asks us, well, do you believe that you're saved? You say, well, I, I, I believe I will be saved if I work on it. If somebody asks you, you know, do you believe you are saved? He said, you, may, you might answer, well, I hope so. And, and, and friends, it is a sad reality that in, in, in the Christian community, Seventh-day Adventists have become known for this, for the lack of the certainty of salvation. And there's probably a number of reasons for this. Uh, uh, one is, you know, because we do talk a lot about the law and our responsibility to the law. And so uh, and because we realize we're not perfect, we're not there yet, well, maybe I, I, maybe I haven't attained it yet. And so th- th- this, this is a reality that, that happens in our church. Adventists have become known like that. And again, this study conducted by Andrews University reveals it, that a good number of our, 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 our church members, our, our Seventh-day Adventists, do not have the assurance of salvation. There's another reason why um, people, or Adventists in particular, um, struggle with this. Um, And it has to do with a statement that is made by Ellen White in Selected Messages. I'm going to share that with you today. Um, And and this is very um, true. Uh, I had a conversation uh, uh, in the last few weeks with a gentleman uh, that I met um, very nice guy, um, uh, and, and, and in our conversation, he, you know, we talked about this. He's a Seventh-day Adventist, and we talked about this and, and what he was taught to believe and uh, about 
not saying that you are saved, and he, and he pointed to this passage that I want to share to you with you right now. She says, this is again from Selected Messages, book 1, page 334. Uh, what does she say? As, uh, as long as man is full of weakness for, of himself, he cannot save his soul, he should never say what? He should never dare to say, I am saved. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It says clearly, if you read it, that passage, the way it's stated there, then it, 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 we should never make a statement like that, that I am saved. When we study the Bible, any topic that we study, there is something that I've shared with you many, many times, that's important that we understand when we try to de decipher what the Bible says on a particular subject. What, what is that? It starts with a C. Context. Context, context, and then the context. And, and so we're not going to get right, you know, the fact is I can take any passage in the Bible and make it say whatever I want it to say if I take it out of context. And as you may imagine, the writings of Ellen White also have a context. And so we're going to look at this passage later on in the message so that we can see what the context is. But for now, let's open our Bibles. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24, that's where our scripture reading is. The Gospel of John, chapter 5. In verse 24, we're going to look at a few verses there in chapter 5 of John. John chapter 5, verse 24. You'll also see the, the verse on your screen. The Bible says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death, into life. Now, in the context of John, of this passage, if you start reading John chapter 5, you realize that John chapter 5 starts with the story of this man who was by the pool of Bethesda. He was by the pool of Bethesda, right? And, and, and there was a rumor that, that, that an angel will stir up the water there in the pool of Bethesda, and there was a bunch of sick people around it. And so as the angel stirred this pool, uh, the, the first person to touch the water would be what? It would be healed from whatever malady that that person had, okay? And so here was this man lying there. He was unable to move. And then Jesus, and asks what is apparently a silly question, he asks, do you want to be made well? Now, this message today is, it goes hand in hand with the message I preached uh, last month. You remember 911 Rescue, and we talked about the word sozo, right? That word sozo in Greek meant salvation, it meant salvation and healing. It's interesting that we see that here again. Jesus asked the question, do you want sozo? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? And it's the same word that is used for salvation. As asked, if Jesus asked, do you want to be saved? Silly question. But of course, the, 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 the man asked, well, of course I want to be saved. Of course I want to be made well, but I just don't have anybody to take me to the pool. And so his response, his response highlights his view that healing could only come through his effort. 
And since nobody, he couldn't do it himself, and there was nobody there that would take him to the pool, he was doomed. Do you want to be made sozo? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made safe? And in essence, he's saying, well, I would love to, but I just, don't, I just can't do it myself. I can't do it myself. And for Jesus is the only one by whom healing could happen. So in verse 8, if you look at verse 8, he says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. The test of faith, right? This guy could not move. He was an invalid. Take up your bed and get out of here. And what did he do? What did he do? All right. Let me go. Praise the Lord. Powerful. But now we're told that this miracle took place on the Sabbath. And that, of course, drew the criticism of the religious leaders. They wanted to kill him. And if you go down verse to verse 17, Jesus answered these religious leaders, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. See, see, the, the, the desire of God the Father is to save us. And we see that in John 3.16. And it was the Father who gave his only begotten Son to save us, right? And it is through Jesus the means by which that salvation is accomplished. In verse 26, Jesus continues saying, For my Father, or for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Remember, we talked about this um, in, on communion Sabbath, that Jesus is that bread of life. He is the source of life. And we get life through Christ. And so this morning, Jesus is asking us the same question that he asked this man there by the pool of Bethesda. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made sozo? How many of you want to be saved? Let me see the hands. Everybody wants to be saved, right? But maybe in essence you, you say, but of course I want to be saved. I just don't feel I have arrived yet. I, I'm still not perfect. Yes, I want to be saved, but I'm not sure if I can attain this. But I take you back to uh, uh, the scripture reading, verse 24, that Jesus says, Most surely I say to you, he who hears, or rather he who hears my, my word, and believes in him who sent me, maybe will have eternal life at some point. Is that what that says? He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. This is a statement of assurance, friends. There is no doubt in the words of Jesus, if you hear his word and believe he is the Son of God, then eternal life is yours. It is a, it is a fact. It is a fact. So do you want to be saved? You know, the Bible has uh, many uh, uh, examples of, of characters, Bible characters, people that we know of, that we read about, that had the assurance of salvation in spite of the fact that they weren't perfect people. Maybe people, people you can relate to because you don't have it all figured out. And you wonder, because you don't have it all figured out, because of the things that, that maybe you are, are, are doing or not doing, you, you, you can't have a certain salvation. But let me show you a few of those examples. The first one is Moses. Moses. Notice Exodus 32, 32. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. So notice this is in context. You remember the, the children of Israel 
you know, they, they came out of Egypt and, and God's, you know, given the commands to the commandments of Moses and what was the children of Israel doing? They were prostituting themselves and they had an idol. And this is some, obviously con- something they did constantly. Well, uh, God in, at one point decides, well, you know, I mean, he, he's actually testing Moses, but, but he says, you know, I am going to destroy them and I'll make you a great nation. And so Moses, of course, intercedes on behalf of them, and, and he tells God, Lord, you know, if you will forgive their sin, but if you're not, if you're not going to forgive their sin, blot me out of the book. Now, what book is he talking about here? The book of life. We read about the book of life in other parts of the Bible. And Moses says that it is possible for, for his name to be removed from that book. We see the same thing in Revelation 3, you know, that the name can be written off, off the book. And, and so this is an... This really is, is, flies in the face of those who believe in one save, always save. That once you're saved, nothing, nothing you do will ever it, uh, remove your salvation. But according to the Bible, your name can be written in that book, and it can be erased from that book. But the point here is, is that Moses believed that his name was on it. Now, Mo, did Moses have it all figured out? He wasn't perfect. In fact, even until the end there, you remember God told him to do something. He, he told him, speak to the rock. And water will come out. What did Moses do? And, of course, that caused him not to be able to go into the promised land. So Moses wasn't perfect, but in spite of that, he believed that his name was written on the book. Moses had the assurance of salvation. How about Peter? Did Peter have it all figured out? He's probably a poster child for the, for the people that put their foot in their mouth. Right? Peter denied his Savior three times, but we read in uh, 1 Peter 5.1, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glories that will be revealed. What glory is he talking about? When Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven, right? He, 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 he believes that in spite of, uh, of his challenges, in spite of the things in his life, he would be there. He would be a partaker of the glory that will be revealed when Jesus comes, when our, when our bodies will be glorified, as Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. So Peter had the assurance of salvation. How about Paul? Paul, the Apostle Paul. Um, you remember Paul. Uh, you know, obviously the apostle of the Gentiles, at least for me, he was, he's one of the, the heroes of the Bible. But if you remember, in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about his, his dilemma. He talks about the good things I, I ought to do. I don't do those things. I end up doing the things that I shouldn't do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He, he, he is very honest about the struggles that he himself had. But notice here in, 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 in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, has, uh, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who will has love his appearance. So notice, he has the crown of righteousness will be given to him on that day. What day is that? When Jesus comes, you know, all those that have accepted him will receive that crown of righteousness. You have that uh, hope and certainty. Paul believed that he would get that crown. He had the certainty of salvation. 
Writing to the Ephesian church, uh, Ephesians 2.8, this is a passage that we know well. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Notice that he doesn't say, well, if you work hard enough, you may be saved. That's not what it says there, does it? He says, by grace, by that unmerited favor, you have been saved. This is a completed fact. Salvation has happened because of grace. Yeah? Salvation has happened. It's It's a statement of certainty. And so we see this, many examples throughout the Bible about this. Uh, Jesus himself, in John 3, 36, he, uh, he says that uh, he who believes in the, Son of, uh, in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. So again, he who believes in the Son has what? It doesn't say you may have it. Maybe if you, if you get there close enough, if you hope hard enough, if you work hard enough, you will have it. No, he who believes in the Son has it. And of course, believing in here in context, it, doesn't, it means more than an intellectual affirmation. It means more than you believe, saying, well, you know, I believe Jesus was a historical figure. He, he existed back then. I believe that. It's much more than that. Believing there has to do with accepting his terms, accepting his promise, accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord and surrendering to him. And if that is you, according to what Jesus said here, what do you have? You have the assurance. You have eternal life. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the Bible says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Again, believing, surrendering, accepting the gift, you will have that life. One more passage. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, Again, I talked about Paul. You remember Paul said again in Romans 7, all the good things I ought to do, I don't do those things. I end up doing the things I shouldn't do. Who will deliver me from this body of of corruption? And then he says, thank God, thank God through Jesus. Because Jesus did it. And and the thought continues there in chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk according to, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's no condemnation. Jesus said the same thing in John 5, 24. Uh, uh, again, he who believes in my word and, and, and in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. Why am I not coming into condemnation? Because I have eternal life. So Paul highlights that reality in his life, the struggles, but he is trusting in the merits of Jesus, and because he's trusting in the merits of Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is assurance. And so in the Bible, we see it clearly that, 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 that God wants us to have the assurance of salvation, the certainty of assurance. But why, why is assurance important? Why is assurance important? Well, there's, there's a, couple, a number of reasons why assurance is important I want to share with you today. The first thing is that assurance is necessary in order for us to have a right relationship with God. It allows us to, 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 go, uh, to let go of all attempts to save ourselves, and instead of having uh, religious stress, we can love, thank, and trust God. Think about it. If I ask you, um, are you saved? Do you believe you're saved? And you say, well, yes, I hope so. If I'm working on it, if I work hard on it, who are you trusting then? You're trusting yourself. 
It has to do with me. If I work hard enough, then maybe I'll get there. And so that affects our relationship with God because our dependence should be on Him. Our trust should be on Him. Salvation is possible because of Him. So we can have religious stress. Think about it. You're serving God, but you're not sure. So it affects your relationship with God. But it also affects your relationship with others. Assurance is necessary in order to have the right relationship to fellow humans. To fellow humans. Well, because if you think about it, we do not help them through good works in our testimony in order to receive some points that would count toward our salvation. Our ministry is selfless. So, in other words, we are told, obviously, part of our, our, our experience, part of our journey as Christians is to help those that are in need, right? To help our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if, but if you think about it, if I believe... Well, I'm not saved. I'm working on it. I, I can't have the assurance of salvation. I'm working hard on it. What things must I do to earn points with God? And so when it comes to helping somebody else, maybe you're helping somebody else not because you love them or because you love Jesus and you want to reflect them. You're helping them because there is something for you. If I help enough people, maybe I'll get some points to heaven. But is that why we should be helping people? No, it's because we love them, because we love Christ. We want to be a reflection of Jesus. So our ministry should be selfless. So when we don't have the assurance, it it affects our relationship with others. Yeah. Assurance is also needed for our own psychological well-being. Again, as as we shared earlier, when we live in a time, in in an environment of uncertainty and fear and stress, we, 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 we have mental problems. We can't experience the joy and the fearlessness Uh, that God wants us to have. Assurance is also needed when it comes to dying. Everybody is going to get there. And and David, King David, uh, when he was about to die, he gives his farewell address sort of in in, in 2 Samuel there, chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. But I want to share just one verse there, uh, verse 5, where David said, although, remember, he's dying now. He's dying. Although my house is not with God, yet he has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? In other words, he says, listen, I'm not there yet. My house is not with God yet. Uh, I'm not there yet, but guess what? God has made an everlasting covenant. We talked about covenant. God made a promise. And because God made a covenant, because God made a promise, it's secure. I can take that to the bank. Maybe it doesn't feel like that to you, but if God promised, you can take it to the bank. That's what we were talking. That's why our our, our Sabbath school this quarter is about the promise. The fact that God keeps his promise. There's something to be said, right, about having the assurance when you're about to die. You've probably heard of of people who, you know, they're, they're there in their last moments. Uh, in hospice or in the hospital or in their home, but you know they're dying, and, and, and there's quite a difference between those who have accepted Christ and those who haven't. You've probably seen that. You know? Those who haven't, they, they, they're not at peace. The, the pain seems to be intensified. They're miserable because they don't know what's next. But the person who has the assurance, yes, the, the person knows he's going to die or she's going to die, but they're at peace. They're serene. Because they know that their next conscious thought is going to see Jesus come in the clouds of heaven. It's, it's just different. And, and, and the same thing translates to the family members of that person that's dying. 
Because you see, think about it. If you can't have the assurance of salvation because you say, well, I'm working on it. So let's say your family member now is dying. How do you know if they worked on it? Right? You don't know if they work hard on it. So if you're not sure about your salvation, can you be sure about theirs? Of course not. And, then, and so there's no hope, there's no joy. Now, I've shared with you the, <clears throat> the, the story of my father. The fact that my father, well, for, for most of, you know, that, that I, when I was growing up at home, he, was, he really wasn't a, God, a God-fearing person. He, he, uh, he, he wasn't a bad man, per se, but, but you know, he, he wasn't, God wasn't in his life. He was an alcoholic. He, 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 you know, he cheated on my mother many times, I suppose, over the years, and, and um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good thing. But, you know, God wanted to save my father. And so God called my father's attention with a stroke. And it was through the stroke that led, gave me the opportunity to talk to him about Jesus, and he accepted Jesus in his life. And, and then, by the way, he accepted Jesus in his life. I saw changes in his life, but he was by no means perfect. You know, it, it, remember, when we were born again, we are babies. You know, it's a growth process. And, and I did try, start to see that growth process in him, but, he, you know, he had some work to do, if, if you will, some changes, but guess what? When, it, when the time came for him that last time when, when he got sick and he was in the ICU and that led to his death, when we, my brother and I were there, we had traveled from the United States to Puerto Rico to be with him that week, and, and the, the final day came for us to say goodbye, and, and, and thankfully that day he was able to open his eyes and, and at least acknowledge that we were there. But I was leaving the next day, and, I, and, I, and I'm saying my goodbyes. I said, Dad, I've been with you here all, all week, but I have to leave. I'm leaving tomorrow but I'll see you when Jesus comes. That's what I told him. And he looked at me, had a tear coming in his eye. I had the assurance. And, and, you know, he did die the next day, and I was saddened by the fact that my father died. But I I did, and I have now the assurance, I'm going to see my dad again. By contrast, my brother was there. It was the same experience. He was leaving the next day. Now, my my brother, I love my brother to death. He's a good man, but right now, God has no place in his life. Bible has no place in his life, and so he doesn't have that hope. So when he's saying goodbye to my father, he is destroyed because he doesn't have that assurance. You see, it's important to have assurance. This is why Paul says in in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we are not like those who have no hope. There is a difference between those who have hope, and there's a difference between those who don't. So, you know, you may wonder, okay, Pastor, I see the importance of assurance. How can I get there? How, what, what, what must I do to have the certainty of assurance? Well, there's a couple of things that we need to talk about. The first thing is we need to recognize that God loves you and has a plan for your life. God loves you, that you are important to him, and his plan really is to save you. John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. You remember, again, in uh, in the topic I talked about sozo, the word sozo and, and, and the rescue. We talked about the fact that salvation 
is not something to experience the joy of salvation. Is not something we have to wait for until Jesus comes. We can start experiencing the joy of salvation in the here and now. Jesus wants us to have, to have life and to have it more abundantly. And it's not until you, you won't have abundant life when you get there. You can have abundant life right now. So God loves you. He has a plan for your life. That's the first thing. And then you need to accept the fact that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, that we all have called, that we all sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. We have to expect death. Sin separates us from God. It's like a wall between us. It's a chasm. And because of that chasm separates us, God is a source of life, and there's a chasm that separates us, well, the end result is death. And that is a fact that we need to acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you have a problem. But you need to recognize that in Jesus Christ, God has prepared the only way out of our dilemma. Jesus is a solution to the problem. God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. He took our place on that cross, thereby erasing the chasm, bringing, bridging the chasm, bringing us together. God provided the solution, but now God provides the solution, but you need to accept the solution. And that's the next step. Accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. But as many as received him, to them they gave, uh, he gave them the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Do you believe in his name? Do you believe that he's your Savior? Then therefore you are a child of God. God has bridged the chasm. And so you need to invite him to take control of your life. That's what you need to do. And then, once you've done that, rely on God's promise, not your feelings. If you've accepted Jesus as Savior, then trust in the divine promise of God for eternal life. And this passage here, 1 John 5, 11 through 13, can't be any clearer. Notice what it says. And this is the testimony that God may be given us eternal life. Has given us eternal eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has what? Has life. He who does not have the son does not, uh, the son of God does not have life. Verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you can have what? That you may know that you have it, not that you can or, or, or sometime in the future, that you have it right now. That you have eternal life. Uh-huh. And that life, and that you can, may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So again, assurance. You can know, according to John, that you have eternal life. When I shared uh, the, the sermon on sozo with you, the word sozo, I shared with you a statement made by Ellen White in Steps of Christ, page 51. The fact that, again, we often trust our feelings and not in the promises of God. Well, I don't feel saved. I don't feel that uh, I've gotten there yet. Notice what she said. There it is. Okay, the top one there. If you believe the promise, believe that you are forgiven and cleansed, God supplies the fact. You are never, or rather, you are made whole. Just as Christ gave the paralytic power to walk when the man believed he was healed, it is if you believe. 
Do not wait to feel that you are made whole, but say, I believe it. It is so, not because I feel it, but because why? Because God promised. It is because he promised. It is because he keeps this covenant with us. And then, of course, once we uh, have accepted Jesus, once we uh, are believing in his promise, then we ought to maintain our relationship with the Lord. By four things here, right? Talking to him daily in prayer, listening to his words, seeking fellowship, talking about, uh, about, God, other, about God to others. So the importance of prayer. I mean, I've shared this with you countless times. And, and if, and if, and if the th- when, I, when I leave this place, if you only remember me by the fact that I tell you, if you're going to keep connected to the vine of Jesus, that Jesus is divine, there's things you need to do. You need to seek him in prayer. Communication. You need to study his word. You need to have fellowship with others in the church. I need to stop there, friends, because this highlights the importance of church. We are living in a time now because maybe of whatever reasons we're accustomed to not being in church, and maybe we don't think it's important anymore, but it's part of our spiritual growth. Without it, you're not going to grow. It's important. And then you've got to witness. You've got to witness. And so this is how we maintain. So, so what must I do to have that, that assurance of salvation? Again, recognize that God loves you, has a plan to, for your life. He wants to save you. Accept the fact that you're a sinner. You can't do anything about it. But God has provided the way to bridge the chasm. You need to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And then once you accept it, you should just depend upon him. Not how you feel, but how, what he's promised. And, and, of course, our duty is to keep connected to him through prayer, through study through the to church, and through uh, witnessing. But now, Pastor, what about the fact that Mrs. White did say, do not say that you're saved. We saw that earlier, didn't we? She did say that, didn't she? Well, let's look at this passage, but we'll look at it in context, and that'll change things a little bit, okay? So notice here, you see it on the screen, She says, we are never to rest in a satisfied condition and cease to make advancement, saying, I am saved. When this idea is entertained, the motives for watchfulness, for prayer, for earnest endeavor to press onward to higher attainments cease to exist. No sanctified tongue will ever be found uttering these words till Christ shall come and we enter in through the gates into the city of God. Then, with the utmost propriety, we may give glory to God and to the Lamb for eternal deliverance. As long as man is full of weakness, for of himself he cannot save his soul, he should never dare to say, I am saved. So notice, Mrs. White is talking about something specific here. And let me go back to the first part. She says, we are never to rest in a satisfied condition and seek to make advancement, saying that I am saved. There, there is a danger among those, and this is especially true uh, uh, to our evangelical friends who believe in once saved, always saved. Once you have that false assurance of salvation, that you don't have a responsibility, that doesn't matter what you do is not going to change that fact, then you don't need to make any advancement. You don't need to continue to grow. Why? Because you believe that you're saved no matter what. And so they are ignoring their responsibility. But Mrs. White says this is a problem. And so what she's explaining here is that those who hold this unhealthy view of being saved, ignoring their responsibilities, are in a dangerous place. 
Because there is a responsibility. We have to move forward. We have to achieve a, a, a higher attainments. We have to keep our connection with Jesus. We have to keep our connection with Jesus. She continues to say that those who accept Christ and in their first confidence say, I am saved, are in danger of trusting to themselves. So this is a danger. See, see this is the, 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 the change here. This is the, the issue. When you're trusting in yourself and not trusting in Jesus. That's the danger. They lose sight of their own weakness and their constant need of divine strength. They are unprepared for Satan's devices, and under temptation, many like Peter fall into the very depths of sin. We are admonished, let him that thinketh he standeth, take he lest he fall. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. But notice how she finishes, Anne. Our only safety is in a constant distrust of self and dependence upon Christ. That's the difference. See, we can have the assurance of salvation just as long as that you don't have the assurance because you think you got there. I was good enough. I finally made it. No, 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 friends. Our assurance our comes from the fact that we are depending on the promises that God made. Just like David said, you know, I'm not there yet, but God made a covenant with me and he's going to keep it. Is he going to keep his word with you? Then you can trust him. You can trust him. One, uh, another statement she makes, this is from Sign of the Times, uh, August 18th, 1890. Uh, there are many who conclude that they are saved simply because you have good impressions. And maybe they feel all warm and fuzzy inside. But this is not enough. The entire affection must be renovated. Every individual must learn by experimental knowledge where lies his uh, true strength. No one can leave his first love without a forfeiture of the Christian character. So she's talking about our responsibility, right? It's not about, again, how we feel. It's about God's promise. But there is got to be a change in our life. There's got to be a responsibility that we have. There's something that comes afterwards, if you will. If you remember, if we go back to John chapter 5, Again, there's a man at the pool of Bethesda. He couldn't, he couldn't get there. Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be saved? Oh, yeah, of course I do, but I just don't have anybody to take me there. And he says, no, take up your mat and walk and get out of here. And he did, he, he did that. As you we, as we follow along in the story later on, notice in verse 14. In verse 14, notice what Jesus tells him when he sees him a little bit after the miracle. See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. So think about it. When Jesus sees him, he doesn't tell him, well, listen, man, I healed you, so now you can live your life the way you want to, and nothing's going to happen to you. See, it would seem that the reason this man had been paralytic in the first place was because maybe a lifestyle issue, something that he did that led them to that. Well, 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 Jesus had mercy on him and healed him, but now that he healed him, he still had a responsibility. He said, don't do it again, because if you do it again, you gotta, something worse is going to come. So he had a responsibility, right? We have a responsibility after we've accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. This is why Matthew in Matthew 24, 14, we read, He who endures till the end shall be saved. So this, 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 is, this teaches us an important lesson. Again, when we read the Bible and when we read the spirit of prophecy, we have to take into account context. We can't take just a sentence from the Bible and make it say we want to, whatever we want to do. 
or whatever we wanted to say. And the same thing is with the writings of Mrs. White. You cannot just take one sentence and say, well, there, she says I shouldn't say I'm saved, so I shouldn't say it. you got to read the whole thing. Plus, when you, when you study a topic in Scripture, it's also very important that you look at the entire uh, uh, Scripture to see what the Bible says on that particular topic. And so with the same thing with Ellen White. When, she talk, when, when, we, when we look about this issue of assurance of salvation, it's important that we see what else she says on that subject. And let me give you an example of what else she says on that subject. The same book, just a few pages afterwards, she says that it is essential to have faith in Jesus and to believe that you're saved through him. It is essential that you believe that you're saved through Jesus Christ. It's very clear, friends. So we gotta, we got to keep a balanced approach here, friends. The key, again, is not to trust in ourselves. We, the reason we have assurance of salvation is because then we're trusting in the one who made the promise, the one who made the covenant, and he's going to keep his word. He's going to keep his word. He's one, he wants to save us. You know, if you've ever gone to the airport, there on the, uh, uh, you know, everybody, there's a difference between the passengers that have a confirmed ticket and the passengers who are on standby. There's a difference between them. See, the ones who have a confirmed ticket, well, they're relaxing, they're reading their paper, they're playing on their iPod, uh, iPad or whatever the case may be, watching a movie, talking to their friends, maybe even taking a nap. But the ones on standby, well, they're standing by the ticket counter and they're pacing and they're, oh, they, they're there's no, because they, they want to make sure they get a, a ticket, right? The difference is the confidence factor. The difference is the assurance factor. That makes all the difference. And friends, if you are living your life and even serving God unsure of your salvation, you will never have the peace and joy that he wants you to have. You can be sure of it. Your salvation, you can be sure of your salvation and trusting in the merits of Jesus. As long as you hold on to the hand of Jesus, then you can be sure that he's going to keep his promise. You can relax. You can have joy. You can, have, you can live stress-free because you know that Jesus will keep his promise, friends. You know, there is assurance of salvation is a priceless gift and treasure. And there's certainty in assurance. But, you know, again, we have to get there, right? You know, the, the certainty of assurance comes by the fact that we acknowledge that God has a plan, that he wants to save us, that he did provide the means to save us through Jesus, and that all we need to do is accept him as Savior and Lord. And if you do that then you can leave this place with that certainty. And so I don't want to, you know, end today but without giving you an opportunity to say, you know what, uh, I want to have that certainty. I want to have that assurance. I want to live stress-free. I truly want to accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And I don't know, maybe if you haven't done that yet, then maybe you, you like to say to God, you know, I want to do that right now. Uh, just, you know, raise your hand where you are. You know, I, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. And because I accepted Jesus as my Savior, I have that assurance today. Those of you at home, you know, and maybe, maybe this is a, an issue that you've dealt with. And if somebody asks you, are you saved? You, you wondered if, if, if that's really the case. If you haven't received Jesus, then you do that today. God knows your heart. You can tell him right now. And, uh, and you can have the assurance that you're saved because God promised. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how we feel about what we do. It's about what God has already accomplished on the cross for us, and he will keep his promise. Amen? Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.